So how about this lockdown? How about everything that's going on in the world? There's probably uh, some of you here, and uh, maybe those of you who are joining us online, a lot of this might um, be kind of where you're at, but I think um, there's a, a question that this time in our country, in our culture, in our community has brought up. I think a lot of people are asking, um, why, why keep going? There's a, okay, so maybe, you know, you're a person, um, you've got a business. We have business owners in this uh, congregation. Um, the stores are in lockdown, but Jeff, Jeff's store, if you don't know, his, his job, his business, is he, um, he puts on the audiovisual at, like, you know, large events, like Comic-Con or the Star Wars Celebration. There's no more events. In America. And Jeff, I kind of wonder if maybe you haven't asked yourself, why bother? Lockdown is uh, it's a, it's off, it's a lot of fun for families because you get to see as much of each other as you can possibly stand. More, in fact. And maybe there's uh, some people out there, maybe you're sitting there going, maybe it's time to move on. She or he has never appreciated me the way I deserve. And honestly, I think maybe the family would be better off if I was just out of here. Especially those of you at home, there's probably, or maybe there's some of us who've even gone to the, you know, the, the darkest place, right? Where the, uh, the months now, the months of isolation, the months of alienation, the months of, of seeming, feeling like this is not going to end. This, this moment in our culture is not going to end. Maybe there's some of us uh, who are actually thinking, maybe it would just be better to be with Jesus, We aren't going to have data for about two years. That's how long it takes to gather data. But anecdotally, um, a lot of hospital workers and doctors have been um, saying that they actually they have more uh, attempted suicides than people who are suffering from COVID-19. Businesses lost, families destroyed. Why bother? Why keep going? If you're asking that question or you have asked that question in any aspect of your life, this text is for you.
Paul on death row writes, I'm glad because I know that this will result in my release through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything, but that I'll have enough courage that Christ will be exalted in my body, now as always, whether through my life or my death. For to me, living Christ and dying prophet, if I continue to live in this world, I get fruit from my work. And which will I choose? I honestly don't know. I'm torn between life and death because I want to leave this life and be with Jesus because that's much better by far. But staying in this body is helpful for your sake. And and being convinced of this, now I realize I will stay alive and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in your faith so that my miraculous coming to you again will make your bragging about Christ Jesus blow up even more. Yeah, I've taken a few liberties with the text there, uh, translating it, but I'll explain as we go through. I got a, a, a picture here from Rembrandt. This is my, my all-time favorite painting of the Apostle Paul. Uh, I don't know how well you can see it um, on the screens, um, but what's fascinating about this painting is this is Rembrandt uh, painting Paul just before he's executed. So he's been writing his letters, and, and you can see that Paul is like, he's, he's on the, the verge of being elderly here. Um, his, his expression is almost bewilderment um, about what's happening. Um, and and one, one of the interesting things about, I don't know how well you can see it, but on the left side of the, of the canvas, uh, Rembrandt adds this massive broadsword, like a huge sword. Which is weird because Paul doesn't, you know, Paul's never like a, a swordsman. Like, but, and then next to that are, are like these huge leather bound books. They just look like they weigh a thousand pounds. Presumably maybe uh, Paul's copy of the, the Old Testament, the Septuagint, something like that. But the, the, the point of the, of the juxtaposition is to show Paul in, as he's moving into elderliness and, and, and what he can't do anymore, right? He couldn't lift that broadsword to save his life. He couldn't lift and, and those, those, those bags and, and those, uh, the, those books to save his life because he's, he's unimaginably old. He's, he's probably in his 50s or 60s. No one could, uh, he's, and, and what's worse than that, what's worse than that, not only is he unimaginably old, he's also a broken human. Um, we, we don't read here, but we know from other texts that Paul was arrested and beaten more times than you can count. And beatings in the ancient world are serious beatings. It's not, these are not like, oh, I got kicked, I threw a rock and, no, no, these are beatings, savage beatings, and he's had them over and over and over. He's almost, he's almost blind probably at this point. This might be one of the reasons Rembrandt uh, gives him this sort of bewildered look because he can't see very well. So he's, his body is broken. He's no longer able to do the things that he was able to do before. He, he's in pain constantly. Why keep going? So look at, look at what he writes. He's, I, I, it's my expectation. I won't be put to shame in anything. Uh, you might wonder what uh, Paul's talking about here. Shame, that's not something we think about a lot. Um, but the, uh, he, he wants to have enough courage, sufficient courage, that Christ will be exalted in his body whether he lives or dies. What does he mean? We, um, in, in the 21st century in the West, for us, dying is something that takes place alone in a hospital. 
That's how we think we, we ignore death as long as we can. But when it finally comes face to face to us, it's in a hospital, in a bed, away from everybody. We take people who are dying, we get them as far away from us as we can, and we wait till it's over, and then we have a service, except we can't anymore because of COVID-19. In the ancient world, it wasn't like that. In fact, in the ancient world, uh, dying was something that people thought a lot about, their own death. People would, would plan, almost, their own death. Aristotle, he talks about the good life, and he, he, the, the philosopher Aristotle, he says, part of a good life is a good death. And a good death is something really, really important because it, it's the culmination of everything that your life has been about. You guys uh, know, know this, this, this chap? So, true story, this is 2001. Um, my buddy Dave, he's from Connecticut, and I, um, from Orange County. We were in school in North Carolina, and uh, we, you know, we were going to bed because we had class in the morning. And uh, and Ricky Proctor, who was from Tallahassee, Tennessee, uh, bangs on the door at like two a.m. He's obviously not in full possession of his faculties, but he he barges in anyway. We're like, oh, okay, I guess we're talking now. And uh, and Ricky, Ricky's like, well, I guess you guys heard the news. He's gone. And I, I looked up, Dave and I both had high beds, so I look, and Ricky's standing there, he can't see us. I look, I'm like, what's going on? Dave's like, I don't know. I said, the intimidator. He crashed today. Dale Earnhardt's no longer with us. At this point, uh, Ricky knew that Dave and I were, uh, you know, Christians. We thought a lot about, um, you know, salvation and whatnot. And we actually had a really great conversation about um, life and death and, and salvation from sin and eternal life and why it's so important to believe and, and, and be a part of that now. And then uh, Ricky, I guess, went back and, and passed out. And as soon as he left, Dave goes, hey, who's Dale Earnhardt? Well, uh, in Aristotle's mind, uh, Dale Earnhardt has a great death. Because what Dale Earnhardt did is he went out doing what his life was all about. He went out doing what he loved. So Dale Earnhardt Sr. was defined by being the intimidator, by being this incredible NASCAR driver. I don't understand how anyone can watch this sport, but it just seems like cars going around. I don't get it. But the people who are into it love it. And in the South, we actually, I lived um, like four miles from the NASCAR Hall of Fame uh, for four years, and I visited it zero times. <laughs> for people who are into it, NASCAR is this fascinating thing. But what Dale Earnhardt Sr., his whole life was about being the intimidator, the greatest driver who ever lived. And so he dies on the track, literally doing what he loves. Aristotle looks at that, and he's like, this man's death is the right kind of death, the culmination of a great life. Paul's thinking exactly the same thing. He's beaten down, he's broken, he's probably going to die, and what he's worried about is he's worried that while they're torturing him or whatever, that he's going to become afraid or unmanned, and he's going to cry out and say, I reject Jesus, I take it all back, just make it stop. That's what he's worried about. If when he's dying, what he wants is he wants to go out saying, I don't care what you say, the Jesus is Lord, he's resurrected, I'm coming back with him, do your worst. Because that's what his whole life has been about. Proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming him raised. And if he doesn't get killed, if he doesn't get executed, he's, he's hoping that his body is not so broken and destroyed that he can still go and do what he loves. 
He can still go and be the, the, the gospel to people and, and introduce them to Jesus. He's hoping that his, his eyesight and his brokenness won't prevent him. Won't, won't be, it will be shameful if he's so broken that he can no longer do what his whole life has been about. What this means is that the first thing Paul's thinking about when he's deciding whether or not to live or to die is he wants to make sure that he keeps going because part of honoring God in life is honoring God in death. That's the first thing in your note sheets. We keep going because part of honoring God in life is honoring God in death. And, and it, you don't have to think about physical end of your life, death. Every part, every season of life ends in little deaths. There's no, they, what, you know, you're, what, everything that you do, every project you, you, you encounter, every community that you're a part of, there's a beginning and an end to it. And what that ending looks like is ideally something that honors God. That, that the, the part of the beginning of the project, the middle of the project, even the end, when things end or, or die, that, that all throughout that, all throughout the way that we live and the way that we let go, all of it testifies to God's majesty, Christ's exaltation, his victory. But I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I would be thinking about making sure that God was honored if I were in Paul's place. I'm a selfish guy. I hate pain. True fact, I'm a, on the Enneagram. If you guys do the Enneagram, I'm, number, I'm a seven. The, what seven sevens want to have fun all the time. That's why we're all fat. Uh, we never want to say no to ourselves. Um, and the thing we hate the most is being uncomfortable. So why should I keep going? Listen to what Paul says next. He says, for me, living Christ, dying prophet. If I continue to live in this world, I get fruit from my work. If you're familiar with this text or you've grown up um, in, in the church, you probably know the more famous um, version of this. For, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, and, and I agree with you, that sounds way better than mine, <laughs> than my translation. But I also suggest my translation's better because even though it doesn't sound as good, it's more accurate. And here's why. Um, in, in the Greek, there's no is in this sentence because it's not really a sentence. Paul's yelling. He's yelling, and when Paul gets very excited, he, he drops verbs from his, uh, his, it happens many times in, in, in his, his letters. In fact, uh, you may remember the, the text, um, wherever anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Well, there is no there is in the Greek. It's just anyone in Christ, new creation! That's how Paul thinks. He gets excited, he drops the verb, and he yells. And so he says, for me, live in Christ! And die in gain! You probably think of heaven, you think of this. Oh. You're bored, you know, you're like, Steve would hate heaven. See, Steve, Steve is like a, Steve's an athlete, he likes to compete. Getting old is tough for him because he's constantly injured. Um, and so for him, the idea, just settle down, you just take it. That's your job. Um, for him, the idea of like growing wings 
and floating on the clouds eternally? That would be awful. He'd be like, this, this is the worst. They're like, here's your harp. He's like, no! No one wants to play harp. Uh, well, that word, uh, that word that gets translated gain, uh, that, the word is kurdos. And the reason they say gain is because um, they, they don't like the way, what it actually means. And so they translate it as gain because that sounds nice. It's like, oh, you've had this really hard life. And Paul's, you know, he's broken. He's beaten down. And his life has been awful. And so finally he's like, yes, the sweet release of death. And he's, he's there floating on the clouds. Finally his, his, his body doesn't hurt anymore. And he's like, this, I've really gained something great. That's cool, but that's not what that word means. Uh, Kurdos means money. It means money you made by working hard. It, it can mean gains if by gains you mean, oh, dude, I invested in the stock market about, you know, like a month and a half ago when it was down at the very bottom, and now I've gained 35 to 40% in like a month. Those are gains, and those are profits. That's Kurdos. Uh, it gets used elsewhere in the Bible and the New Testament. So, um, for example, if you know the story of the, the, the master who gives the servants the talents, the ten talents, the five talents, well, the two talents, whatever. And then the master is like, okay, go invest it and make a profit, kurdos. And then he comes back and he's like, hey, can you show me what, how much you've made? What, what's your profits? Kurdino, the verb, it's based on this, this now same root. Profits, money. Paul doesn't think heaven's like that. He thinks it's more like this. Scrooge McDuck. I know, this sounds crass. Bear with me. For those of you who don't know DuckTales, that's sad. It's back now. There's more DuckTales. If you go, I think it's on like Disney something. I don't want to watch it because it'll ruin. But on Disney Plus, the, the, true, true fact, they do have all of the old DuckTales. You can go back and watch them. It's rad. Uh... Everyone, everyone who's like between the ages of 35 and 42 is like, oh yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> everyone else is like, what? <laughs> um, Scrooge McDuck has this huge, uh, has this huge vault and, and he, he's filled it with gold coins over the course of his career. And one of his favorite pastimes is like dive and swim through his money. Uh, which, I mean, only in America would someone come up with that as a plot of a, like a hero in a story, but whatever. Anyway, uh, um, Paul, has a much, I mean, obviously it's not like swimming in money, but Paul actually believes that everything that he does for Jesus now is going to be rewarded with real profits in eternity. Real rewards. Now, that probably doesn't mean like money like this. Um, it's hard to know, to speculate exactly what that means, but it's real tangible stuff. Honor, power, uh, like a, a life and experience that's, that's, superlative. It's the best possible. And there are going to be people in heaven who don't get this. They're, they're going to be in heaven, but they're like, instead of sort of diving through their gold piles, they're going to be like, you know, scrubbing the toilets after Scrooge is done. These are crude metaphors, and I admit that, but they do capture something of what Paul believes the end is like. And if you're curious, we did do a, ser- a series on heaven, I think a couple years ago. You can go check it online. Uh, we have, I don't know if we got video, but we at least have audio of that. And you can kind of get a sense of, much stronger sense of what the end uh, is, is going to look like. But the point is, the point is, Paul's not like, oh, I just, to dying is gain and sweet. No, Paul's like, dying means rewards. It means cash money. And so Paul's stuck because he's like, on the one hand, 
He wants that cash money now. He wants to rest and enjoy the rewards he's already accrued. But on the other hand, he's like, but I could get more if I can just do a couple more journeys. If I can just spread the gospel a little bit more, if I can just stay with it a little bit longer, God's going to be depositing my account over and over and over. It's going to be better and better and better. And so you might be asking yourself, why? Why should I keep going? I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of seeing racism in this country. I am so sick of people being afraid of dying from an illness. I'm so sick of fighting between whether or not we should or shouldn't wear masks. I'm so sick of people hating each other because one side says black lives matter and the other doesn't. And you're thinking, man, it's time to quit the fight. Just... You do, you, America. I'm just going to take care of me and mine. I'm out. If God has called you to these battles in this culture, if God has called you to advocate for life and for justice, if God has called you to do those things, one of the reasons you keep going, one of the reasons you don't quit, is you're going to get paid if you stick with it. That's the next thing in your note sheets. We keep going because God generously rewards the faithful. If you've been called to this relationship, this project, this cause, if God has called you to something, stick to your guns because you're going to get paid. And the payment is eternal. And it can't be taken from you. No matter how hard and sick of it, the fight you get now. This, this long. Eternity, forever. But Paul's not done. He's, he's not convinced yet. He's not convinced. He's like, he's like uh, I, I, I do want rest and I do want to get paid. I, I want rest. I want reward. It's hard to choose between the two. What else does he say? I want to leave this life and be with Christ. I've added that's because, again, he doesn't use a, um, a verb in this scene. Like, because much better by far. It's emphatic for him. He's like, that's so much better than this. But staying in this body, helpful for your sake. Uh, Most translations say something like, staying in this body is necessary for your sake. Um, And and it's it's hard to know. Really, a gloss would be better. That word... um, it, 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 means, um, it means necessary uh, for relief. In fact, and again, don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what Paul wrote. Not this, he's the one with the potty mouth, not me. 
Um, that, this word gets used by uh, Papias in the second century to talk about defecation, necessaries, um, pressing needs. Okay, so like for example, this is the way the Greek idiom works. Um, say I was pointing at the bathroom and I said, I said I've got to take care of some pressing needs. Okay, you all know what I mean. Uh, very similar. That's what this word is. Um, and and and. So when Paul says that he's necessary for uh, the Philippians, he's like, you've got pressing needs that only I can relieve to kind of give you the sense for the, the idiom, how it works. Now, obviously, that does not work in English, so, so people just say necessary or helpful. But the, the, really, what he's, he's saying is he's like, I, I know you need me to help relieve stuff. For primarily, the Philippians are just worried he's going to die. They love him, and they don't want him to die. Also, they have questions. They're curious about things that Paul knows. And, and they have these pressing needs to decide, what does this mean? And pressing need to see him and know he's okay. They have all these pressing needs, and Paul's like, I am essential to your relief. Essential services. That's good. Dustin and I were uh, texting when um, the pandemic was starting to get serious and we were, and the, I think the CDC in the state of California had first kind of come up with their rules and we were trying to decide whether or not, uh, you know, Dustin's business and then the church were essential services. And so I pulled up, I pulled up this, uh, this map that the CDC developed. It's essential critical infrastructure workers. And the, what, what's necessary, the idea is what's necessary to relieve the problem of the pandemic? Well, we need food and agriculture, energy, defense, emergency services, financial services, government services, nuclear reactors, water, uh, information technology. I guess that means you can't let the internet fall apart, otherwise people will riot because they will be so bored. Um, transportation systems, public health, chemical communications, critical manufacturing, dams, commercial facilities, and emergency services. Dustin's an engineer, and his firm mostly does solar. And so he, he was like, ah, maybe we might, we might qualify. You know who doesn't qualify? Christians. Yeah. Or for that matter, Jews or Muslims, anybody who's religious, right? We're, we're, we're out with it. The CDC is sitting there like, what do we need for this country to survive? Prayer? No. We need IT. We need Netflix. Promote Netflix. Let the churches close. Because Netflix meets a pressing need and relieves it. But worship? Prayer? Scripture? What Paul understands is that his willingness to sit and to be with the Philippians, he's essential for them. And it's crazy. It's so crazy. You know, the world has all these ideas of what's essential and what's not. And it's, it's, it's really, really frustrating that, that nowhere up there on, on what essential services are is just you being there for your family. Just you being there, being a part of a community. Just you interacting with people who need to see you. That's nowhere up there. That's not essential according to the world. That's just, oh, that's just what humans do while they're wasting their time waiting to die. Is it? 
Paul has a different view. He's like, no, being with you, seeing you face to face, essential service. I'm essential for you. You cannot be you if you don't have me. That's where Paul's head's at. And if you're sitting there and you're like, why am I doing this? Why don't I keep going? The world's going to be better if I'm not around. You are performing an essential service just by being willing to stay with us. And for those of you at home, if you are, if you are just losing it and you're, and you're falling apart, you have to know we miss you. And I know you can't be here yet, but we need you. And don't quit. And for those of you who are struggling with these relationships, you know, in your, in your bubble, some are falling apart because you don't see it, people anymore. Some are falling apart because you see them too much. And you're wondering, why don't I just walk out and end this? Because whether you know it or not, you are essential services to people. They may not even know it. But you are essential services. Your willingness to stick to your guns and stay with it and never quit, that is important. It's essential to them, to their growth, to their survival, to their relief. Next thing in your note sheets is we keep going because our willingness to endure is an essential service to others. Our willingness to endure. I say willingness. Um, well, you'll see. <laughs> Look at what Paul says. I love this. He's like, living Christ, dying, gain, profit. Which will I choose? I just don't know. Isn't that odd that he thinks he has a choice? Well, you think that's weird? I mean, because remember, he's, on, he's, he's waiting to be, he's basically on death row, right? He's waiting to go before a judge, and the judge is going to be like, you're either guilty or innocent. If you're guilty, they're going to, and we know um, they're going to kill him. In fact, we have, I have a picture here from the 17th century Danish uh, Simone de Vaux. This is the uh, execution, the martyrdom of St. Paul. Again, the broadsword, because it was done in the 17th century. Um, but Paul, our second century sources say that he was decapitated. That's how he uh, died. So he went before the Nero killed him. Nero was the emperor. And sometime between 64 and 68 AD, uh, Nero um, judged that Paul was a threat to the empire and had him killed. Decapitation, we're not certain of. Uh, that only shows up in the second and third century. Our earliest um, accounts do say, though, that he was martyred by Nero. So if you have Clement and Polycarp, who are second-generation Christians, um, they've, they wrote this down. So we, we do have a pretty good sense that, that Paul was martyred uh, by Nero and possibly decapitated. Why does Paul say, which shall I choose? I'll tell you what, it's, uh, Paul, Paul's, you may know this, Paul's been arrested a lot of times. Paul, Paul's like an enemy of the state. And what Paul's gotten really good at is manipulating Roman judges. He knows how to say what they want to hear, so they're like, oh, this guy, he's just a religious lunatic, don't worry about him. But he also knows what he could say to make sure they're like, oh, you're starting a rebellion? So let me show you how that works out. See, Paul knows that if he gets him up in front of Nero or Nero's judging, he's like, you think Caesar is Lord? No, only Jesus is Lord. Down with Caesar. They'd be like, you're done. You're out. Your religion's no good here. If, on the other hand, he gets up there and he's like, he's like, 
yeah, so this guy Jesus, he, he rose from the dead, and I think that I'm going to rise from the dead too. They'll be like, hmm, okay, get this screwball out of here. Why are we arresting this guy? He's just, he's nuts. So Paul thinks he has a choice. He's going to go before the judge, and, and, and he's going to go one of two ways. One's going to go out in a blaze of glory. He's going to be like, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not the resurrection is at hand, you know, and they're going to be like, oh, you're done. The other possibilities is going to be like, play the, play the, the I'm crazy card, and, 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 and he's going to get, he thinks he's got control over what's going to happen. And so literally, as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he makes it a, sh- a decision. I want, to, I want you to sh- uh, see it. And being convinced of this, that uh, being convinced of the fact that my coming to you, Philippians, is essential for your relief, it's, neat, it's better, helpful for your sake. Paul says, and now that I've been persuaded of this, I've realized, and he goes to the future tense, I will stay alive, I will continue with all of you for your progress, joy in your faith, so that my miraculous coming to you again will make your bragging about Christ Jesus blow up even more. Yeah, I mean, literally, we're watching Paul change his mind or make a decision about his future in this text. Um, I, I added miraculous because the, the syntax, the Greek syntax of uh, really both of these verses, but especially verse 26, is like incomprehensible in English. You should just look at like all the different attempts to translate it. They're all over the place. Um, just because the, it's really inconvenient to get from Greek to English. Um, but the meaning is very clear. And the meaning is Paul's like, like, I know that if I show up, if I make it to you, you're going to be blown away. And you've already been boasting and bragging about how Jesus has changed your lives and given you hope, um, you know, new life, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. You've already been shouting that from the rooftops. You see me show up, poor, broken old Paul, off of death, death row, saved from the Roman Empire. You're going you're gonna to shout for joy even more. Uh, richly abound, I've translated as blow up even more to make this sort of 21st century. Uh, so you can, you can, you guys can make Evie watch the sermon and she'll be like, oh, blow up even more. He's cool. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, it like, explodes. Paul was wrong. Whatever Paul said to the judge and perhaps to Nero himself, it didn't matter. The Philippians never saw him again. That's why before I said it's your willingness to endure, it's your willingness to keep it going because the, the truth of the matter is everything has an end. Everything stops. It might be a project, it might be a relationship, it might be a business, it might be um, a, a pandemic, it might be um, a culture divide over how to bring justice and peace between races. It could be any of it, but it, everything stops. But it's not up to us to decide when. Paul didn't really have a choice about whether to die or to live. Ultimately, that was in God's hands. 
So Paul, for the, the reasons that we you know, reviewed, for, for the desire to have an honorable death, honorable life, in, in order to, to heap up profit, in order to, to be relief for the Philippians, he decided, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to stop, even though I want to. But God said, no. God said, I'm going to stop you. It's funny because in doing so, God actually granted Paul's prayer. Remember? So much better by far to leave this life and be with Christ. That's the last thing here, note sheets. It's up to God, not us, to decide when we should stop. If you've been called to something, whether it's a marriage and family, if it's been a business, um, a church, even your very life, if you've been called to it by God, it's not up to you to decide when you cut it off. It's up to God. And, and maybe, and I really do believe that God will make it clear when it's time to end. I can tell you, when Paul was like, oh, I'm just a religious nut, and Nero, whoever, was like, oh, well, we're going to kill you anyway. I think at that point, Paul's like, okay, God, it's time. Similarly, when we're trying to figure out where we, we, we keep going, we keep going, and God will be the one who will help us discern, no, this is the time to quit. This is the time to stop. And God's not going to make it it's going to be obvious. And if you're having difficulty knowing whether or not it's time to quit on this or that thing, man, come talk to me and, or talk to the elders, uh, or maybe a therapist, something. But, but, but don't discern this by yourself. Don't make a decision on your own. It's time for me to, to, to throw in uh, the, the towel. God called me to this thing, but he's called me to something else. Now, don't make that decision by yourself. Instead, make that decision with others. Because maybe God has and maybe he hasn't. But if you don't know, keep going. If you have been called to advocate for racial justice, keep going. If you have been called to bring peace to people, don't quit. If you have been called to help advocate for public health, don't stop. If you have been called to live with this family, this spouse, these kids, don't run away. If you have been called to live this life and to bless this community, do not, do not take your own life. You're called to an honorable death that honors God. You are called to heap up profit and reward by following through and being faithful to your mission. You are called to be essential services to those who are around you, whether you know it or not, whether they know it or not. Keep going. Don't quit. Because when it's time, God will let you know. Let's pray.
Gracious God in heaven, we thank you for the witness of Paul. With his broken body, his failing eyesight, who still was willing to limp back to Philippi to bless. God, we thank you for Paul and his, his conviction that, that everything, nothing matters more than just having Jesus. And that's life, and that leads to an honorable death. It leads to reward in heaven. It leads to being essential services to those around us. That turning aside from everything else and pursuing that gives us the reason to keep going. God, make us Bible Church keep going. Delivering honor to you. Reaping reward and profit for our eternal future. And acting as essential relief to the broken, spiritually dead world around us. In the name of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we pray. Amen.